0: Yeah.
1: Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. Welcome to Be Reasonable. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. I am talking today to Matt Belinsky. Matt is an attorney, an advisor, and investor in a bunch of startups around LA, uh, mostly tech, right? Um, And uh, lately he has been uh, one of my friends who is the most all over the coronavirus situation. Um, Do you sleep? Not much these days. right. I mean, are you just on research mode all the time right now, or what?
0: It, it, it's endless, right? There's an endless amount of information. There's endless storylines. Yeah. There's so many different angles to attack from, and uh, and and just trying to navigate through just the morass of information. Uh, even even if it was all honest and all could be sure. absorbed on first look without any skepticism, even that would be uh, pretty difficult. But uh, it, it's hard, it's hard to unwind. It's hard to. T- to to disconnect from it all.
1: So um, I'm just going to mention, by the way, guys. If you want to follow him, it's at Matt Belinsky on Instagram or Twitter. And he's been doing this Instagram live thing that he's calling BNN, uh, B- the Belinsky News Network, where he gets on with um, some thought leaders and industry people and whatever around Los Angeles and has conversations with them about the coronavirus. Um, so uh, okay, so let's let's actually start with something you just mentioned. What is your method of trying to um, separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to online information?
0: So I guess that one thing that has benefited me immeasurably in this situation is that I've spent the last four to five years, really honing my, my Twitter, uh, my Twitter follows. Um, I have it down now that I, I, it's just been a fluid, constantly evolving situation of who I follow, who I think is interesting, who can be trusted and what their agendas are. Mm -hmm. And I think I've, for whatever else I, I may have wasted time on the internet doing, one thing that I did that, that I believe has value and was time well spent was separating the wheat from the chaff there. So yep. I think it's a super well-rounded set of people that I follow who come from a variety... I'll just say it. I follow the smartest people.
1: The people that I, <laughs> Yeah, the, man. I mean, I've told a couple friends. They're like, dude, how can I get any realistic information? And this is before the coronavirus stuff even sure. really became the central issue. And I was like, look... Everything we get from the media that you see and this is not like me trying to be prejudice about the, the the news or anything about that. But I'm like, you get one voice from many different sources. So I think it's advisable to make sure that when you're online, you're following stuff that's going to, uh, if not contradict, at least counterpoint some of what the main narrative is. Otherwise, there's no way to know if, if the other side has any legitimacy at all. And I think that that is what is lacking. That's part of why my show is called Be Reasonable, because I feel like there's extreme viewpoints on either side, and it's so easy to to count those extreme viewpoints out without understanding them like the right will think that the left just wants to uh, like quell their free speech and uh, you know run. Culture and society, and the left thinks that about the right, except that they're also, you know, racist and hateful and bigoted and blah blah blah.
0: Sure, I think there's two points there. One, the whole notion that you can get your your news from one particular source or even two or three sources mm-hmm. is incredibly outdated. There's no way that you can because you will have within the same. First of all, within the same organization or, or publication, you will have incredibly smart voices and incredibly. It dishonest, irrelevant yes. voices. Uh, the New York Times is actually the best example of that. There are some people for the New York Times who are absolutely phenomenal. And then other times, I will see stuff from the New York Times that would make the biggest clickbait, that would make us weekly blush. It is such ridiculous clickbait. Yes. So you can't, you can't look to one publication. And then even beyond that, and I think to a larger issue that we might want to dive into, un- unwrap a little further – there's no such thing as the right and the left anymore. Okay, mm-hmm. that is not the dichotomy. Mm-hmm. This 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 bifurcation that we had, um, it existed generally in a similar form from say uh, the from Reagan through 2014 to 16. I'd say a good expression of that was the Barack Obama Mitt Romney. Uh, election, mm-hmm. the the kind of left and the principles that the left had it, it had generally represented for about twenty twenty five years against the right. That was really a, a perfect proxy for that game that we were playing at that time. That game does not exist. Okay, mm-hmm. on the right you have the you have the Mitt Rom- the, still the Mitt Romney Paul Ryan types that are kind of you know basic bitch uh, zombie Reagan mainstream conservative types. Then you have the national populists, which kind of split in, in a few different sections themselves. You mm-hmm. have some that are kind of you know. MAGA intellectuals, uh, who a lot of people might believe don't exist, but they do. They're actually incredibly smart, and they attach themselves to certain principles that really kind of upend just traditional mainstream thinking. And they don't particularly affiliate or or relate to Trump on an intellectual level, but they're like, this guy is directionally correct in terms of um, reestablishing firm borders, both physically and intangibly. trade. Uh, uh, approach towards China, approach towards the media and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And then you have kind of, you know, MAGA populist, uh, uh, MAGA hat wearing people who show up to Donald Trump's rallies and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Um, on the left, I mean, I'm sorry. The Bernie people despise them, the, the most of the rest of the left. Yeah. I, I follow, I, not, you know, I have a relationship with a lot of kind of on, online Bernie personas on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, They say worse things about about the Democratic establishment than I do. they are not. So to try to to try to put it into two categories of right and left, which was a more accurate description back in 2012. Mm -hmm. People don't understand how quickly the world changed. That world does not exist anymore. Okay. And if you want to have any sort of clear perspective or or valuable viewpoint on politics in 2020, you have to understand that. And the whole, uh, trying to bifurcate right and left, it's just, it's it's a fool's errand at this
1: point. It's funny you mentioned 2012 and the Mitt Romney stuff because in the first episode, I kind of just did this monologue introducing the show and what I was thinking about um, the current. Uh, you know the current landscape and I I brought it back to 2012 at one point talking about how I remember being on board with the you know typical Obama supporter uh, devotee that uh would say that uh, Mitt Romney's Binders Full of Women was an example of misogyny and this kind of anachronistic uh, religious thing in offshoot Mormon communities where they would choose the next wives for their men out of these these binders with pictures of the young girls (laughs) like that's really a narrative that got pushed against mitt romney in 2012 and it's like looking back now the idea that any of us would call mitt romney this uh this insane uh misogynist seems i mean beyond useless it's yeah it's absurd
0: yeah yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that was the residue of the – a justifiable residue of the period that we had just gone through because I'm going to go ahead and say it. While I may exist at a different point at the political spectrum today, uh, the Republicans mid-90s through the Bush administration, through the early years of the Obama administration, mm-hmm. were as bad as everyone says. Sure. Okay? I don't, you know, they deserved, they, 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 they earned some smearing. Okay. Um, and I think that some of, uh, uh, some people who were otherwise, uh, uh, it got kind of broke, kind of washed into that wave where people like Mitt Romney, who now looking at it from a clear perspective, you know, might have been someone who deserved fair treatment. But I mean, the the right and that that Republican Party that was kind of that zombie Reagan it, it, uh, it was operating under that zombie Reagan umbrella that i have mentioned before, um, they 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 played dirty. Uh, they were manipulative um, and they earned a lot of uh, some of the tactics that um, were being used by uh, the left wing media apparatus at the time that now have just gone into super mega overdrive and I think are being used in far less justifiable main- means.
1: Yeah, it's really something to look back and see what the um, fallout from the whole like Newt Gingrich versus Bill Clinton saga has become in terms mm-hmm. of the way the media treats both sides and the way, and, and also in, in the way both sides treat the other side, even in the formal process of legislation. Um, let's jump over just to, uh, Get the the Trump views out on the table so that the rest of the conversation can be had with your perspective on that stuff just out there in front so that people aren't taking everything you say and then assuming where you must fall vis-a-vis Trump. Because I think sure. that that's the thing right now. It's like everybody decides yeah. where someone else is in regards to Trump, and then their opinions on anything get filtered through that. They're like, we'll oh, well, he he speaks too nicely about Trump, so he obviously must not know anything.
0: Yeah, and it's just everyone's trying to label people with, like I said, these out, outdated two-dimensional sure. Descriptors and uh, are you a Trump supporter? I'm like I'm sorry I'm not a child I I, I cannot define uh, where my political views are by is some sort of, of tag like that and so I think Donald Trump he's a symptom not a disease I see he was the, the out- yeah yeah he's a symptom not a disease he's the outgrowth of a lot of decisions that were made by people in power from both parties that necessitated someone who had some of his views that unfortunately happens to be bottled in a guy who ha- exhibits. Um, unfortunate personal characteristics. I yeah. don't like, you know, the way that he communicates, um, his crass manner. He's clearly a bully and a narcissist in a way that I do not think is a good example for the American people. Mm-hmm. However, he's right on a couple big issues. And the problem with that is that these are big issues that nobody else is right on. If there was somebody else available who is taking these positions on China and the media in particular in the manner in which he was, who did a better job of it, who was more polished, that would be better. But unfortunately, he's the only one who's doing it. He was the only Republican. He essentially blew up the Republican position on Iraq into a thousand pieces. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, guy deserves credit for that. He was the first Republican. Prim, prim, I was not... I, 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 however much people might despise the Republicans over Iraq, I'll go... 5X that. I despise them. <laughs> I think George Bush was the worst president in the, his, since the notion of human leadership was conceived of. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I think that Iraq did more. Uh, the it, It's innumerable problems in America right now that right. were some residual or second, third, fourth, or fifth order impact of Iraq. Um, and the Republicans just refusing to ex- to take the L, just refusing to accept that they, they fucked that up. Um, really pissed me off for a long time. And then Trump was the first one to say, what the hell are we doing? This is a disaster, do you and think he deserved credit for that.
1: Do you think part of that uh, explains um, the prominence of never-Trumpers within the neocon movement?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Because, And that's another strange part, because some of these neocons and never-Trump people are actually otherwise— very smart, reasonable people. Where some of them. You'll have a David French, for example, uh-huh. um, or a John Poter. I don't Poter Horretz, whatever the Pot-Horitz, fuck you yeah. pronounce his name. Yeah, and overall, like they're pretty smart dudes. They're not Fox News fire breathers. No, no, no. Um, but they're guys. David who French are honestly f-
1: seems like one of the nicest people on earth. To, oh, and Is totally kind,
0: thoughtful, reasonable guy. Unfortunately, this category of Republican. Simply refuses to, to accept that uh, to take the L on Iraq and they kept on trying to, you know, waver in there They would just not step up and say we fucked up and that because Donald Trump went and kind of put them on blast on the topic it, beyond that and also because of his personal style is why they they uh, uh, Established themselves in a counter position to him, which is unfortunate because those guys are are counter Trump for an unreasonable reason, but are actually some of the more reasonable Republicans on other topics.
1: Yeah, that is (laughs) it really does. And again, this speaks to the reason why you should follow people with really diverse views, because there's no way that you can get all the perspectives, which is the only way to give yourself a balanced perspective um, without at least listening to what these people have to say. The oddest thing now is that people think that they're somehow like Compelled to believe everything that they read just by the fact that oh, they God. read it. It's like, yeah. dude, just read it. If you don't like it, tell the person you disagree. It is social media. Maybe they'll see it, or 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 shut up, or don't listen to that person. You know, it's it's weird how the the only notion that people have of how to um, respond to people saying things they don't like is to try to get them silenced forever, rather than just. Yeah. Make a Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, God. I mean, that that strange outgrowth um, of the, you know, let's call it the, the toddler and adolescent age of social media, because mm-hmm. this is a weird thing. Whenever I start, I talk with some friends of mine who are other people whose politics have, have, are now on a different p- place on the chessboard uh, because of what's transpired over the last six to seven years. Um, I always say, how the hell did this happen? How the hell did cancel culture happen? How did these online smear armies pop up? And then they go, "Oh, social media." And I'm like, I don't know if I buy that answer single as a single variable mm-hmm. right there because social media was around in the 2000s, uh, you know. And Twitter, I mean, I guess maybe it was Twitter. I guess yeah. it was because Twitter really came or came of age 2009 and 10. Then it had maybe two to three years where you know it was kind of the wild west where you'd go say whatever the hell you wanted, and then sometime around 2013 2014 this weird poison start, you start to notice this weird poison uh-huh. and it's this just really illogical, um, um, you know, a, a Orwellian McCarthyist, like, you know, yeah. uh, 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 shame, the shame tactics, um, the people who are in media and who have prominent voices take on a totally different tone. I mean, you can even see some of the, the same uh, media voices now as 2013. There's a guy named like Farhad Manju, for instance, who's a mm-hmm. tech writer for The New York Times. I mean, you go compare what that guy wrote in 2013, it's a pretty reasonable dude, to what I see him write in 2019, 2020. It's like someone inhabited his body. And you see this all over the place. So maybe it was just just Twitter. And that this particular platform, with all these journalists on the same platform, created this inherent, this automatic surveillance aspect to any ideas, and and it became this kind of uh, uh, decentralized McCarthy, you know, uh, McCarthyism about trying to find people for wrong think, hop on them, and try to get them canceled or, or, or spark some sort of, some sort of internet pile on.
1: One of the most interesting things to me is that the people who are on each side, but closer to the center, who are basically trying to say to their side, hey, guys, just, like, tone it down a little bit, are the most hated people. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. like, uh I mean, anyone who... On the on, Andrew on the Sullivan. Oh, dude, Andrew Sullivan is hated. Brett Stevens, Ross Douthat, because they are yeah. the guys at the New York Times who are you know the New York Times conservatives. These guys are not firebrands. They are yeah. the most relaxed, like tie wearing do gooder guys I've ever oh, seen. A, but they just Sullivan. have opinions. That's all. Yeah.
0: Well, they don't buy into the uh, they don't buy into uh the woke media post great awakening uh uh radical liberal um uh discourse and for that alone Jonathan Chait, who I'm and not a fan of And they obviously fight
1: against the, the maga discourse as well. 100%. Time. Andrew yeah.
0: Sullivan was a, a fierce defender of uh of Barack Obama in a period where it wasn't that easy to be a defender of Barack Obama, okay? In the first couple years the, the Obama the first couple Obama years, the Tea Party was sprouting up yep. and Andrew Sullivan really dug at he was Probably the top political blogger in America at that yeah, point, and yeah. he su- really dug he's in there for Obama. Yeah, and he's you know he despises Trump. He calls for Trump's uh, impeachment every week, and because he also calls out the interse- the poison of the intersectionalist movement and and uh, and the you know faux social justice movement yeah. and how these people conduct themselves, they shit on this guy unmercilessly. This guy was in the trenches of the of uh, the AIDS epidemic yep. and AIDS activism yep. in a- the eighties and nineties. And I mean, who do these people think they are that a smart, reasonable guy who's actually had life experience and actually gone out there to try to help people? They don't give a shit. He doesn't fall in line.
1: And is actually totally fearless about being a gay man who doesn't align with um, the uh, company line on that and also a devout Catholic. I mean, he's a weird mix of beliefs and influences. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was a proponent of the Iraq war as well he
0: was um, well he was but he was one that that took the L early
1: yeah right? i know uh, good for him but yeah he yeah, was I'm one just...
0: he was one that said like hey you know something i was wrong this is a disaster i don't support this and i don't support these people and full stop i'm not going to try to justify it
1: isn't it interesting that people now um, believe that it's more consistent and more honorable to be like Bernie Sanders and not change your mind about anything in 60 years except, of course, for political political expedience like, i.e., open borders, exactly. um, but that they will say to someone like Andrew Sullivan, who's constantly thinking and reassessing his views, Total. that he is um, just someone that no one should ever listen to because he thought the Iraq war was a good idea at the time.
0: Mhm. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no there's no cheap dishonest move they won't try to use to uh to to delegitimize uh, delegitimize, sorry. It's been a long week. Um, you know <laughs> yeah, you're, you're running on three hours, 3 hours a night. Exactly. They'll go to cherry pick whatever view this person might have had at some point and that's supposed to be their argument and that yeah, you know, something it makes it 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 structurally aligns very well with how Twitter con- discourse and conversation goes um but it's not an honest way to to form an argument or to you know engage someone or to describe them even if you might be describing them in uh, as in an adversarial manner Mm -hmm. but that's how we to that's how the media is these days
1: um i'm one of my main concerns and i think you and i might have discussed this before is how addicted to twitter the media is and i think that that's i've said before that i think that the real um The real bubble is the people inside the bubble of thinking Twitter is the be-all and end-all of societal importance. They take their um, beliefs about mostly everything off what the rest of that Twitter bubble is saying. You know, yeah. so like we get to a point where, OK, so we're recording this on what, Saturday, April 11th. Right. So yesterday was the tr- Trump press conference where Yamiche Alcinder tried to literally cancel the Surgeon General while he was at the podium, telling him that, Insane. that who is a black man, by the way, telling him yeah. that people found it racist that he had said um that you need to tell your your big mama and pop pop that they need to stop smoking or whatever.
0: Yeah. Or absolutely. I mean wh- and, what the fuck is that supposed to add to the discourse? Unbelievable. Well, yeah,
1: and and like and so then of course Uncle Tom starts trending. I mean if that's not It's <laughs> grotesque. And it's it's like woke white people calling the man an Uncle Tom. Like that is the definition of racism, a hundred percent. Completely disregarding his view on a racist basis. Any,
0: any, just any, just plain and simple view of ethics and morality. You're the bad guys. If you're going and calling some guy who's trying to represent the public interest in good faith and Uncle Tom because he might have, you know, kind of used a little like casual slang um, in describing certain ethnic groups like in that manner. I mean, that's just
1: unethical. That means you're a bad person. And yeah. well, And not only that, he's like, that's literally what I call my grandfather and grandmother. Unbelievable. People I was growing up with said that stuff all the time. Like, yeah. What are you mad at?
0: No, it's, it's not, it's about bullying, okay, this is, uh, if there's anything that I'm sure of, it is the following yes. things. One, this is about power and bullying. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is about weaponizing phony, phony, uh, uh, uh distortions of what people say and uh, supposed ethical and moral faux pas, uh, weaponizing that against them to, uh, to, uh, essentially control the narrative or control yes. society. The other part of it is, and this is with the professional aspect of journalists on Twitter. Think about before Twitter and, and digital journalism. Okay. If you wrote for, let's call the, uh, the, Boston, uh, what's the Chicago Tribune? Uh-huh. If you wrote uh, wrote for the Los Angeles Times, if you wrote for the New York Times, you are, you, not everyone read each other, right? You sure. guys in LA might, maybe you read one other newspaper, you read your friends' stuff right. in, in, uh, who wrote for the New York Times, something like that. Right now, the group think is so powerful and so magnified because all these people who technically write for different publications in different towns and territories yeah. are all on the same platform so their work is seen and retweeted and and exhibited to everybody in their industry. Imagine that. Think about any other industry except maybe professional sports where you see like literally your work product, what you put out is pretty much posted on a message board for everyone in your industry to see every day. If that's, think about it. If that were the case, if you were in any other industry, would that not incentivize you or disincentivize you to take certain views or to handle your work a certain way? And that's what's happening.
1: Yeah. It really is, um... Man, the whole thing is so dismaying to me because it's especially harmful when, if they deviate from that centralized narrative, then they are immediately subjected to. The shame of the mobs and the one thing that they can't tolerate because their jobs defend depend on it. And they have used their mouthpiece to have other people fired from their jobs. Exactly. So if they say anything that the crowd disagrees with or that the woke team decides is in some way one of the isms, then they're finished
0: yeah or you know something, or they may not be finished but they figure why deal with it why well, yes, put up yes, with the, headaches? That's the other, Yeah, I can I can tell you I can tell you I have multiple friends that are writers that are you know maybe not A-list nationally known writers sure. but are maybe two two steps below that they're mm-hmm. well known within their industries mm-hmm. and these are guys I mean way, way farther, farther to the left than I am. And even farther to the left than I was back when I voted Democrat all the time. Not that I vote Republican now. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got to caveat Um, everything. You got it these days. Um, these guys, they'll side chat me all the time. They're like, I don't, I mean, I I'm shocked at what I see. I don't want to speak up. Why do I look at, look at what I'm unable to say. Look at he, I'm going to document and catalog the infinite reasonable takes and positions that I feel uncomfortable saying because I know that I'm going to have to deal with shit and I don't want to have to deal with it. It's not worth it.
1: Dude, that's exactly how the um, entertainment industry is out here as well. I mean, I can't tell you how many times friends of mine in the entertainment industry are like, I can't believe that you just feel comfortable saying this stuff. And I'm like, dude, if you guys all would say what you actually thought, then we wouldn't have this problem. Like, there wouldn't be like one... Um, dominating central narrative. We would have different narratives and if you actually showed people that you could be compassionate about other people's opinions and yeah. and work with them on these things and maybe you disagree here and there and you find common ground somewhere else like if we could do that then we wouldn't have this problem in the first place and a guy like Donald Trump would be redundant like we wouldn't exactly. have, we wouldn't you have the yes. issue that he's there to solve.
0: Exactly. Okay. And I'm so not saying that, he's then...
1: coming down like a hero to solve it. I'm yeah. saying that he is the response this is the the crowd response to what Correct. was happening
0: there's no there, he's he has value because it now takes a figure like him to represent these views at all because right. you're disallowing and because you're snuffing out reasonable views on the other side you're creating this monster that the only person that that people are now going to attach themselves to an uncouth crass represent uh, manifestation of this because he's the only one willing to fight He's the only one willing to just say, fuck you, motherfuckers. And in the absence of anyone else feeling comfortable to state, you know, far, a far more intellectually robust and moderate version of this, people gravitate towards that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, he also just has an abject lack of shame, and he happens to be in a position where he doesn't believe he can possibly be taken down with anything. And, yeah. I mean, Teflon Don, that whole thing. I mean, you watch this the last few years, and – He's been unsinkable. I mean, maybe this thing is his undoing and we'll find out in November, but I'm not predicting that.
0: Um, oh man, who even knows what yeah, the world is going to say in a... right now? It's let, tough.
1: Let me say this last thing and then uh, I don't think I've said this on here yet, but I want to say this in the context of the coronavirus conversation. You know, I am viewing all of the um, news and commentary that I see about this situation through the lens of all of media is seeing the coronavirus as the election. And what I mean is that during the run up to an election, when they're covering the debates, when they're covering uh, Trump's rallies or, you know, Bernie rallies in 2016 or whatever it was, there is an agenda that the reporters have that they filter everything through. Fox News does sure. it, MSNBC does it, CNN sure. now does it. Um, and so anything that helps Trump. You know, Trump being the enemy, anything that helps Trump, they have to immediately take the opposite side of because they know if he gets helped enough, then we have four more years of him and anything that hurts Trump, they will amplify in service of him not being reelected and not having to spend four more years with him. The Absolutely. problem is in a situation like this, Trump's needs are aligned with the country's needs, whereas the media's yeah. needs for Trump to lose are are disaligned with the the country's needs. And that puts us in an extremely precarious situation.
0: Absolutely. And here's one. I'll give the Trump opponents this piece that I understand their venom because he did botch the situation uh-huh. so badly and was yeah. so obnoxious about it that I understand how heated they are at the thought of him not being punished for this. So I get that point. However, still in Apportioning the culpability between him and the other actors who are involved in the situation, particularly China and the World Health Organization, that still leads them to a dishonest, uh, a dishonest, and uh, an incorrect place. Okay, because they're they're letting China and the WHO off the hook because they want to ascribe all the blame to Trump, which I understand because he fucked up, and it would. It does bother me. It even bothers me to the extent that I do support him, which there's a big piece of me that does not support him. To Uh the extent that I do, I still have an ethical problem with him getting reelected after how how he handled this. So I get that. Um, But it's, it's still leading these people to take in a dishonest view of the whole situation. And so what it's taking is taking people like Bill Maher and Andrew Sullivan. And I've seen a a lot of people that I've battled with and, you know, I'm, Listen, I've just taken down my position. I think the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese government, the World Health Organization um, are pure evil. And to the extent they're not pure evil, they have they have uh, brought pure evil down upon society because that's, that's who caused this. That's who originated it. If you yeah. don't understand that, you're fucking clueless. Um, so people that I've battled over that are saying, you know, you're letting Trump off the hook. I was like, I'm not. I'm just yeah. trying to say, like, this is the true villain. They've kind of loosened up a little bit the last... 48 hours because they saw two of their own, you know, one Sullivan, not that they like him that much, but they know that he hates Trump and then two Marr, who's just fucking knocked it out of the, he didn't knock it out of the park. He knocked it out of the stadium this morning, yesterday with that monologue. They're like, well, you know something, fuck if these people who clearly also want to see Donald Trump defeated as badly as I do also can, you know, can understand that the, the clear, have a clear picture of China's culpability here. Well, you know something, maybe maybe there is space to not to, criti- to to criticize Trump, but to also not let China off the hook and to apportion that blame uh, uh, more appropriately.
1: Okay, so let me ask you about this, because I've been thinking about this for for a long time now, and then we'll get into the coronavirus stuff, but I, w- I want to hear your take on this, because I think that I know what it is, but I want to be sure. Um, sure. I was saying, uh, I think I did an Instagram or something about it not too long ago, about how... I find it really odd and disconcerting that that people think that if you argue with them at all from their position on the left or their position with the Democratic Party or Bernie people or whatever it is, that if you argue with them and come to Trump's defense at all, that you are now a Trump— fan or supporter or defender and it's like no that's not how i'm actually aligned but the things you're saying are so crazy that i have to defend him because i want to be a person who views reality as it is and be an honest purveyor of my opinion and it's like uh, the example i used was like if you have um a girlfriend of yours who comes to you and says you know, this guy that I've been dating, it turns out he's actually really abusive. He's violent towards me and all this stuff, and I'm gonna kill him. If you say, Wait, 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 you're gonna kill him? I think it's probably a bad idea to kill him. If that person then says, like, you're defending the abuser, it's like, No, I'm trying <laughs> to get you to chill out and be rational. Like just yeah. leave him and that'll that'll also solve it. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. have to go to jail for the rest of your life.
0: I mean, the, the analogy that I always use is Trump will rob a candy bar, rob a Snickers bar from the from – he'll rob a Snickers from the snack bar and then they'll claim that he committed triple homicide and I'm like – I'm not yeah. going to say that he committed triple yeah. homicide. I'm going to say that he <laughs> fucking stole a Snickers bar, and I still want to give him shit for that. And I don't. I want the person who's not stealing the Snickers bar, obviously. But I'm. I'm just not going to hop on board with your lies if it's not an honest representation of what happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. Okay, so let's get into some uh, some coronavirus stuff now. Um, I guess, like, let's start with your kind of overall broad painting. Uh, painting with a broad brush is what I was going to say, but I just turned it all around. So um, (laughs) go ahead and and lay out what you think as the overriding narrative of this scenario.
0: You got to give me one more layer.
1: Well, I just mean like in terms of a timeline, like, okay, okay, so let's actually, let's start here because during the course of the conversation, I want to address a few of the, you know, more conspiratorial aspects of this whole thing. And so let's get right down to roots. You know, most people... The common understanding right now is that this um, virus uh, was spawned in a uh, Chinese wet market, either from a bat or a pangolin. I think at this point people do believe that it's a bat. But there's also the uh, countervailing narrative that this was a product of a biolab in Wuhan. And, you know... That part is easy to dismiss if everyone who thinks that is also saying it was an intentional bioweapon. But there's a version of the lab story that is not that. And that is worth considering,
0: I think. Absolutely. Okay. Um, So I think the the dynamics going around there is that, listen, I mean, you're just naive to not be suspicious when – You've got Wuhan that has this fucking bio lab it's like a viral lab that's, I, I, it's some i'm not that familiar with the this particular there's a rating system to to uh you know how um the gravity of a lab right that it's mm. handling x material y material i mean this had a, a, essentially from what i am my understanding the highest level of gravity it was like you know level fives double secret probation like this lab had to have all uh, every protection imaginable and you've got this this lab there you've got this Harvard uh, uh, professor um who gets arrested in January for having not disclosed his ties and some payments um from the Chinese government for working with this lab in Wuhan I mean like I mean he was uh, it was with uh, is an affiliation with the Wuhan University of china i mean you're just stupid not to at least investigate this i mean i 'm trying. i'm trying not to form any you know theories around sinister intent but come on i mean there's enough smoke where you got to at least investigate the sure. fire um, in terms of whether and it doesn't imp-
1: and- by the way it doesn 't imply sinister intent because labs do study viruses like that's sure. how we get cures for viruses sure and there's a there's what a narrative that
0: may, there's a narrative that makes sense here that they were working on some sinister stuff Potentially, listen, countries work on, they work on weapons that they don't intend to use just so they fucking have them. And there is, without a doubt, a reasonable narrative that they were working on some sort of virus and um, that they want to just have in their back pocket just as part of their bio-warfare program, because China has stuff like bio-warfare programs, and that the virus got loose. Totally possible. There's a perfectly reasonable narrative there.
1: And also, that person could have carried it into the Wuhan wet market and they could both simultaneously be true.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's it's
1: worth at least paying some credence to. Um, Okay, so then we can start there, and then the spread initially was to Europe, and I think that there's a really interesting story that I know you've been on um, that I think I know less about, um, but it's the whole uh, Silk Road um, initiatives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Man, this is just weird, and it was kind of an eerie Situation for me. I remember I was at an airport come back from Miami in December, and I've been studying one topic that's always been interesting to me is this, is the, the, the cultural and ethnic tension in mainland Europe right now, with, you know, Europe over the, particularly over the past 10, 15 years, um, getting just a slew of, of, immigration and migration from, you know, formerly third world countries and a lot of tension around that and how some populist uh, anti-immigration parties have, sprung. you know, some that I would say are anti-immigrant and some are just being very sensible about wanting to maintain, you know, reasonable sure. borders um, and how kind of some like of the way pl-
1: Bernie used to be, by the way, exactly he wanted to exactly. protect our borders for the benefit of American workers. And 100%. people thought that was extremely attractive about him. And he had that position in 2016. He got yeah. rid of it for Because of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who push for open borders and want to eliminate ICE.
0: Yeah, and and that, that's where the inter- intersectional identity left starts to overtake the uh, the materialistic uh, the material they, they call it the material left or the economic left, and sure. that's you know really robust topic that we could get into. But anyways, so I'm at the airport. I read the story. I see the story about the roots of far right rage in Italy, and it's a story about how the China, uh, Chinese immigrants bought up all the factories in northern Italy. All the textile factories, they, they came in and are essentially, um, you know, they're, they're one creating dependence. They're, they're one, they're imposing their economic force upon the area. They're moved into the area. They're also disrupting supply chains in that they're pretty much taking materials that were formerly, uh, Products that were all, uh, formerly all made in in Italy, making eighty percent of them for dirt cheap prices in in China, sending them to Italy for finishing, and uh, then calling them Italian made, sure. but then selling them through Chinese distribution channels, and that that was stoked that was leading to a lot of corrosion of of the lifestyle of the Italian population there. That a lot of the factories went out of business. A lot of the workers at those factories were suffering because most a, a big portion of the work that they had done was then being outsourced to ch- China, and there was a lot of tension. Around that. And I thought that was a really interesting story and definitely seemed to align with a lot of the things that I had seen um, about the impact of, of Chinese economic development overall. Flash and forward.
1: Th- hold on. What, one of the things, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things I want to mention about this, and there's long articles about this in the Atlantic and everywhere. This isn't guys. This isn't anything from from conspiracy websites. Um, totally. And uh, Wait, this, is know, a New China, York, this is a
0: New York Times. This is real quick. New this is a New York Times article about. Okay. Way, cool. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I was reading one in the Atlantic this past week, but you know, it's not only that. You know, quote unquote, China is coming over and buying up the factories. They're actually sending mass. Numbers of Chinese immigrants to work in these factories in terrible conditions. Some of them, some of the factories are actually really well run. They're operating with, you know, top top line Italian designers. The others are sweatshops Mm -hmm. and they're being Mm -hmm. uh, and these things are functioning under the radar in Western countries. And, you know, say what you will about the West. But that's one of the things we usually try to, you know, stop.
0: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, uh, you know, I, I read that story. It's something that's kind of planted in the back of my mind as I, you know, I'll just study up on this stuff a little bit. Flash forward to late January or early February, and, you know, we're kind of hearing the, the first whispers of the Wuhan situation. We know something weirds going on in China, but it hasn't really spread to the rest of the world. And, of course, the first place, and, uh, not of course, but, you know, oddly coincidental, the first place that gets hit outside of Wuhan is mm-hmm. Northern Italy. Yep. And I'm like, Oh my God, what the fuck? I mean, that just took me right back to that article that there was clearly a direct connection between, uh, between China, uh, uh you know, a, a, a flow of migration and a flow of travel between China and Northern Italy because of the fashion industry and the apparel world and the textile industry uh, there. And it turns out that that, Theory was well-supported because, yes, it proved out that, yes, there were a ton of direct, fl- fr- uh, direct flights from Wuhan and I think it was the Wubei or Weibei province to northern Italy. And, I mean, any even semi-reasonable analysis leads you to the conclusion that that's, how the vir- that's why the virus got to Italy, uh, northern Italy early on and, uh, and why it's had such a devastating impact there.
1: Well, I mean, and you can verify if you've heard this as well, but I was reading that I think there's this massive migration back to China for the Chinese New Year every year and that mm-hmm. the travel to and from China was really increased. And what is that? The third week of January, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, maybe this is. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass right now. I don't yeah, I, I
0: didn't hear about that one, but I mean, it wouldn't be shocking. Also, you had Fashion Week, and a lot of people probably preparing for Fashion Week, mm-hmm. and you probably had a lot of travel back and forth between Wuhan and Northern Italy um, in in preparation for that. But I think you know anyone can see the dynamics here, and they can. It doesn't take a, a fucking genius to connect things there. I was uh, off one by three
1: thing, weeks, by the way. It was early February. Got
0: it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, another re- and this is where it gets a little too conspiratorial for me, but I'm still. You know, it's still an interesting point to make. Um, Mid March, the United States has just massive test a massive testing bottleneck. We can't test anyone. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the fuck? Why why can't these other countries test people? America can't get any tests. A lot of that because there was finite world supply, and the rest of the world that was more infected by the virus got it all first, Mm -hmm. right? But it's a piece of it. Um, Then I start Instagramming about these, these topics, and I start. A lot, I, I grab a bunch of followers randomly from reposts and things like that. One, one random follower, it turns out, works for one of the top testing labs in the state. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Let me start to, to converse with this girl and, and gather a little information there. And I start asking her, yeah, why, can't we, why why can't we test? She's like, well, we have the we uh, we have the testing vials we have the the testing apparently at that point there it was constructed of about three or four parts one part were these specific testing swabs and she said we don't have any of the swabs because they're all made the uh, there's two main international suppliers and the one that we use is a company called copan and their main factory is in northern italy
1: Oh, no shit.
0: And I, I'm telling you, after that, I had to go drive. I had to go clear my head for a couple <laughs> hours. I was freaking the fuck out. I'm like, oh my god, dude. That, I mean, you couldn't script it better. You could not. I mean, it, it's like you know, the the assumption would be that the that the Chinese deliberately dumped the virus into northern Italy and knew that. The main test, the main manufacturing facility for the swabs that you need to run the tests was in northern Italy and would be swamped because of the conditions there. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's just that that said chills down my spine. That was absolutely chilling.
1: Well, I mean, the first the first uh, time we really discussed the subject was one of those days that you put all this info from uh, about China out. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I, I'm the last fucking person to believe totally. in conspiracies, you know, but this thing, I, I don't know what to make of it, man. Like, if yeah. Bill Maher said it. He was like, if they wanted to release a bioweapon, isn't this what it would look like? Sure.
0: But Which here's where again, that- I'm not saying I believe that it was yeah. a bioweapon. But here's here's where it falls apart, because where I think it falls apart and where I think that was this was not deliberate initial release, but was deliberate cover up afterwards, which is almost as bad. If you're going to do it deliberately, you don't fucking do it in Wuhan.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just it makes you it's like it's too
0: obvious. Right. You know why you're going to say, hey, here's our here's our, our virology lab and here's where we release the virus. Like,
1: no, why would you do it? You wouldn't fucking do it. Well, the crazy thing is, too, the Chinese officials were actually blaming it on the U.S., saying that American soldiers brought it into Wuhan in October.
0: no, but that was that was a counterpunch propaganda after we started calling it the China sure. virus. Sure, sure, sure. Yes. So that that was not even a. Conspiracy. Yeah, it wasn't it, like was, they
1: started talking about it in October, saying that America. Yeah. Was. So here's right. what people need to
0: understand about Chinese, uh, not the Chinese communist governments in general. That we all forgot about communism because we we essentially defeated it at the end of the 20th century, and that the its only remnant was this kind of hybrid, weird Frankenstein version in China. Communist governments don't lie. They are lies. Okay? It's not what they do, it's who they are. They exist for propaganda because that's the only way they stay in power, right? They have to establish a a governing ethos and a way of ordering their society that allows them to maintain control over the population so they don't get because there's no such thing as voting them out. There's no free discourse. There's no elections. So propaganda is a feature, not a bug. It's not a thing that every once in a while when they find it useful, no, like that's what they do. So this was all about saving face. This was all about them, them not turning over data, them not locking down, locking down their borders and preventing any, are you kidding me? Any reasonable nation that sees this happens says, we're cutting off all travel to the rest of the world. Are you fucking kidding me? Of course. They actually,
1: they actually cut off travel to parts of China before they exactly. cut off travel yeah, to the rest yeah. of the
0: world. No, the way that Su- Sullivan put it, he said, hey, they figured, okay, we're going down. We might as well take everyone down with us. And yeah. I think that's true. I think well, that is true.
1: The interesting thing about China is that their two primary resources are an unbelievable amount of citizens that they don't care about. and oh, yeah. And American money. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, they they just, human life to, once again, not to the people, but to the government and to the ruling party. Okay. Human life just doesn't count that much. The individual, the sanctity of the individual is just not a high priority, okay? They'll go south. you got to understand, the Chinese Communist Party would go just starve 10 million farmers out in the middle of 10 million farmers just for the fuck of it to show everyone who's boss. This was not in, in, in uh, the Dark Ages. This was yeah, 40, 50 years ago.
1: Yeah, that is in the communist playbook in yeah, exact countries.
0: Oh, 100%. And these are things that I I think people do not understand the types of pure terrors and horrors that happened in China not that long ago. The types of things that you think you only read about in history books back in the fucking dark ages. Okay. The, the, the cultural revolution, um, Mao's great leap forward. These are things 50, 60 years old that these things g- cannot have been totally wiped out of society. You don't just have 20 years of economic growth and capitalism and the, oh, we just, we just, have, we just, uh, eradicated ourselves from the, the types of principles that literally said, hey, we're going to set up committees in each town and have children inform on their parents. And and then go parade their parents out in front of the town to have them pelted by eggs because they spoke out a line about about uh, against the discourse of the communist party.
1: This thing, these things happened recently. Well, yeah, man. They also had a um, forced sterilization if you had more than one child. Insane. That's insane. Insane. Um, all right. So so we get to Italy, and now Italy's being absolutely destroyed by this in a way that we're not even. Uh-huh. Seeing. Um, and so then it comes to the U.S. Now, there's speculation, which I don't think that you agree with, but I, I don't know if you had a chance to look at that LA Times article I sent you right before we got on. Um, there's some discussion now with, uh, I think Santa Clara health officials that they believe that the virus might have been, because of the, the pattern by which it, it spread in a great way, they, they believe that it had to have, um, primary carriers a few months ago they said December they don't know yet it's speculation obviously but uh, you don't agree with that you don't believe that Uh,
0: not at all I'm sorry guy like okay this theory gets unpacked in this manner that there are there's this mat there are all these people who have the coronavirus out there that are generally asymptomatic or low symptomatic and that we're not capturing them and counting them because we don't test enough okay so that theory gets blown up for the following reasons if you're not testing that much and these all these people out there who have it ration reason and logic tell you that as you expand testing you'll capture a ton of these positive cases right. That's not happening. Right. Outside New York, New Jersey, and maybe New Orleans, which had an outbreak because of Mardi Gras, other than those other than those territories, people are not testing positive at high rates. In fact, in California, it's twelve percent. So, if you keep on testing more people and it keeps on being the same, the yeah. same results that eighty eight percent of the people you test don't have it, that debunks that theory right there. Number one. Number two, in terms of timing. We've obviously seen that this virus operates differently because viruses, and this is something that I come back to a lot because it's this very basic principle that I don't think people understand. Viruses don't know what a country is. Okay. <laughs> they, viruses don't know. Oh, well, we spread it. This, we're supposed to spread ourselves evil, evenly and act the same in California and North, North Dakota as we do in New York. That's not how it works. Okay. Yeah, okay. A viruses know about the concentration of people, right? Right. So, um, All the hot zones that did break out all broke out Within the same six week period, Lombardy in, in uh, late February, Madrid in early March, New York in mid March, London a little bit later than that, um, and, and oh, Louisiana, New Orleans and Louisiana right around that's the time is New York. Mm. Like all of these places broke out. The places where the virus did hit hard all hit hard within the same six week period. So wh- how, how can you explain that if the virus was all these places? Right. Back in December, and everyone had it, and right. it only happens to have really gone through the roof in these particular hot zones within a six-week period. That makes no sense. None.
1: So you don't, you don't then believe that there's much um, overlap with the—or uh, that there's much possibility of the theory that— it was a really aggressive flu season and that some of that was mistakenly undiagn was undiagnosed um, as nope. coronavirus because people nope. simply weren't testing for it that
0: nope, point. nope, sorry. That doesn't hold. Okay. People love a good story. Uh-huh. They love you know what's more interesting. It's also a
1: safer story, you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, once again, if if this many people had it,
0: there's zero chance that it would not have been reflected in increased respiratory illnesses reflected in hospitalizations, ICUs, and deaths during December, January, and February. That was not, that did not happen. Right. And it just it, look what is happening in New York. Look what happened in Lombardy. All these people flooded the hospital, and you could say, "Oh, is the older population okay?" If as many people had it as they are claiming, there is no way that doesn't get manifested in, in more people going to the hospital and more right. people dying. More and people dying at home, even yeah. exactly. Yeah, that
1: ha- didn't happen. And so, okay, you um you were had a, a little chart up the other day about the increase in death rate over what was expected and what last year was in New York City compared to um New York yes. City with the coronavirus right now and it looked like the spike the the spike in total deaths absolutely mirrored the growth in coronavirus cases and also occurred at the same time correct exactly okay so yeah i mean if you're doubling the uh and that's with that,
0: it to one one quick point there yep. is that okay so pretty much what we've seen now what, what one of the interesting things that people do understand now that it's happening but should have anticipated it's one of those things like oh of course Overall deaths and hospitalizations and all the places that are locked down have plummeted because all of the societal and societal right. conditions that usually play into people having to go to the hospital, you no know, car accidents right now. Yep. No people getting stabbed, shot, not that many. Right. So all the all the incidental societal deaths and hospitalizations are not happening, right? So that plummets uh, uh, hospitalization and ICU capacity, except for the hot zones, because that's where it, the, the virus spread insanely and where there were outbreaks, thereby negating all of that, that contraction and mm-hmm. then flooding the hospital, sure. right? So once again, there's no way that everyone could have had this and that would not have happened in more territories back in December, January, and February.
1: There's no I, way. I think that one of the... Um, one of the... There there's so many gray areas and so much nuance that I think it's hard for anyone to wrap their head around all of it, including <clears> myself by the way. And one of the things that I've been thinking about and uh I haven't received a conclusive answer, maybe you have one. But um I, I feel like there are multiple definitions of asymptomatic going around. Like yeah, I see what asymptomatic see on that. in its strict definition means you literally do not have symptoms. But I've also heard talk where certain hospitals are calling the lack of dire symptoms asymptomatic. Yeah. And so that, that I think is something that's real, that people are really getting hung up on. And I wish that that could be fully clarified and standardized because if you say asymptomatic, like, like you have zero symptoms at all. You don't feel weird at all. That You never felt weird at all. That's asymptomatic. And the possibility of a vast number of carriers being that kind of asymptomatic would, would lead you to believe that the spread would happen super, super fast. Right. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that scenario, I think people find it more plausible to believe that vast communities could have actually gotten this and haven't been tested yet. You know, and if you're thinking about it as an individual, you're like, well, I haven't felt weird and I haven't been tested. So I could be an asymptomatic carrier. But wait a second. If I'm not an asymptomatic carrier, why do I have to be inside?
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's it's approving a negative and that is an, a, something that people say, well, oh, well, it could be happening and it's just not being being tested. Well, it's like uh, right? The? okay.
1: Yeah, so the asymptomatic thing, I think I think if that was clarified, I think people would have an easier time understanding the risk that they pose to others, the risk that others pose to them. Because one thing that, you know, I think about and, and wonder about, you know, when when they're talking about like safe sex or whatever, it's like, OK, well, you're not going to get chlamydia if you wear a condom. That doesn't mean that if you take the condom off, you are going to get chlamydia. Yeah. It, like the the person you're with has to have chlamydia for you to get it. Yeah. You know, I, I, and when we're told that something's asymptomatic and that we have to be afraid of everybody basically because they might have no idea that they have it. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's the entirely accurate way to portray the situation. I mean, my understanding is that you have to somehow take in through your mouth or nose or eyes, um, the what do they call them something droplets um yeah viralized droplets or something like that um, I haven't quite, with a substantial haven't, viral load for you to be mm-hmm. able to for you to actually get sick
0: yeah yeah that could be the case um i haven't done that much study on an actual you know initial contamination point um but in terms of just the numbers, man, I mean, there's enough territories now. We've e- we're even, we even went and tested out some of those southern territories. Everyone's sitting there thinking, oh, my God, the, the fucking governor of Florida, the governor of Georgia, all these southern territories that have warmer climates, are more spread out, and have you know they're, – they're not cosmopolitan districts where everyone's living on top of each other. Um, so they, they took a more lax approach to all this. And, oh, my God, these places are going to break out because they didn't lock down. So, I mean – they didn't break out. Florida is creeping up on maybe sixteen thousand total cases and is pretty much flattened out. The the daily rate of growth is not high. In um, a state of
1: twenty three million.
0: And yeah, and they're testing. They're not. They're not. I mean, they should be testing more. Everyone should be testing more. But comparably to California and other big states, they're testing quite a bit. So this whole myth out there that there's just this massive. There's this massive population of, of infected cases that are, once again, it's still a lot of people because if you spread 10% out across a large enough amount of people, you're going to get a large figure. However, it's not a large percentage of people. So if this thing is as contagious as some of these people on the herd immunity side claim, and it's been around for this long, it just – there's no way. There's no – it would be reflected in the numbers. As yeah. you tested more people, it would increase the percentage of positive tests because you'd be capturing more of those of those people.
1: And to develop herd immunity, either I – th- I think it's like around 60 or 66 percent, like basically two out of three people have to either – have had the virus and have antibodies or be properly vaccinated to it because then that eliminates the possibility that the person who is not vaccinated and has never had it could get it totally yeah totally. Um, so work i mean i don't see any reason to believe that we are at that point and when i said when i said it's safer to think that i meant that in a real way like it's it's legitimately safer To wish that everybody has already been exposed to it and so the worry just goes down um, and then we're just locked down for no reason and and that's ultimately the point that people want to get to is to be able to say legitimately we are locked down for no reason
0: well everyone wants an explanation this is an incredibly disorienting experience okay there's so many layers to this and that's why I'm I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do and helping provide people with a better perspective hopefully better perspective this is a cra- this is going to make your fucking mind run wild this has knocked everyone off their perch right and all their mental models and all their their mental habits have just been blown to smithereens and your y- your mind's going to wander just like my mind wandered but i think a little more justifiably when i sit there and find out that the fucking One warehouse that makes all the goddamn testing swabs is in the one place that got hit first. And that just (laughs) still freaks me out.
1: That shit is crazy.
0: Right? Um, So, you know, people are going to try to come up with with different explanations. And I think it's a more simple explanation. Viruses travel. uh, Viruses are exponentially more destructive in certain environments than others. In in New York is is the petri dish. Okay? Everyone's on top of each other. It was freezing cold. It's steel- um, and that just the volume of people that touch each other, that touch the same materials that pass by each other every day is orders of magnitude greater than anywhere else, including it's Los no-
1: Angeles, by the way, because we by famously we famously don't make use of public transportation for the most part.
0: Exactly. Yes. And that's been another variable that's that's uh, um, uh, unequivocally, unequivocally correlated at this point. Uh, public transportation correlates with uh, uh, the spread of the, the coronavirus. OK, plain and simple.
1: You mean it's not the 5G towers? like you know i don't know what's dude i saw some, i saw somebody send a map of the us and they were like look where all the 5g towers that's where are that's where all the uh, outbreaks are and it's like yeah dude that's also where all the nba teams are what do you think <laughs> what do you think the commonality <laughs> is that <laughs> they're big fucking cities maybe <laughs> yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah no it's uh, um listen i mean there are a couple conspiracy adjacent topics that i think are worth exploring but it's do you want to touch them now or should, we,
1: should nah, we do a round two?
0: Somewhere? yeah that's okay. th- that's i think that's round two all
1: right so um just in the last minute here like what is your what is your outlook right now and obviously these things are subject to change based on conditions like this isn't like a hard and fast prediction but sure. where do you see this going
0: i think what we're going to come up with now over the next couple of weeks is that is this more um I don't want to call it political, but it's almost a societal battle over how we handle this and how we handle reopening society, that you've got all these territories that at this point are just – if you they cannot be said to be in bad bad shape california the hospitals are empty there is not a big outbreak All, not people are not dying you know some it's it's less deaths than would happen in norm, normal circumstances and people are going to start trying to balance the, the run the cost benefit analysis of remaining locked down and also trying to figure out how we're supposed to reopen and what do we need To treat this as if there's still an outbreak with all these procedures and and uh, a lifestyle medical regime like they have in South South Korea or Germany, and trying to figure out what society looks like once you reopen in preventing another outbreak and having to lock down again, and I think that's gonna you know there's gonna be some interesting battles over the next month.
1: And you're you're firmly in the remain locked down camp, yes? At least a couple more weeks, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, You can't just let, you can't just let everyone back out. No, that's that's right. But, you know, I think here's how I look at it. And I, this is constantly changing for me. And I bounce back and forth between the two because first of all, this is so. Surprising and disorienting, as you said. I mean, you look back on the, um, you know, pandemics for us exist in movies and video games for the most part. Totally. You know, and so when it starts out, you're like, wait a second. I mean, obviously that's fiction. This won't be like that. And then it gets a little more like that and a little more like that. And then like all of a sudden, motherfuckers who you never thought were going to buy a gun own guns. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. and, uh, And at the same time, there is an incalculable human toll on the other side. Now, it doesn't look anything like 2% of our society dying and 10 or 15% of people being in intensive care units. You know, totally. that is a horrifying scenario. 2% of society is legitimately what, – what's the math on that? 6 million, About 7, six, yeah, 7, six million and a half, Yeah, 6.6. Um, that's a hell of a lot of people just dying. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's that's unconscionable. And so yeah. so to the extent that that was a possibility, even on the outer limit, which I don't think that is the outer limit, by the way, mm-hmm. um, I don't think the numbers dictate that that's the outer limit. I mean, there's death rates that they believe are somewhere. What is it? Point uh, one, one percent to more. There are places that think the, the morbidity rate is higher than one percent mm-hmm. and uh, and higher than two percent as well. And so. So that's, that is a nightmare scenario on one side. The other side is that people are stuck in homes. And in apartments with roommates they don't like Or family members that aren't getting along Or domestic violence situations Or child mm-hmm. abuse situations We now have at least 16 million people Unemployed since um, Since the lockdowns took effect And it's probably much more than that Since the 16 million came out What, five days ago? Um, that's a horrifying situation I mean, we're talking about Like, when you think about the capacity for damage that child abuse has and that the abused have to replicate that damage throughout their lives. I mean, on, on so many levels, this is destructive of a society. And so I understand why people are, are as worried as they are about the lockdowns. I share their worry.
0: Yeah. Um, perfectly justifiable concerns. So that, but we, and that is, that is the next battleground. Round two is how do we, how do we balance that out against a responsible methodology to reopen society and and what the new normal, at least in the immediacy is going to be. It's from everything I'm seeing, it's going to be a process of mass testing. You test everyone, you trace you contact trace the people mm-hmm. who test positive of who they were near over the past 48 hours you test them and you you require that they isolate and you keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that until it it dilutes the spread enough that listen people are going to die people there's you're going to get 10 20 30,000 more deaths of of, of, of of from this thing by the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it sounds very callous to say that, but it's just inevitable, but you're, you're going to, it's the same thing as saying that we, we don't ban cars because there are car accidents. Um, we, what we have to do is buy ourselves time and stretch this thing out as long across as long a time span as possible to dilute it and minimize the impact and allow us to get back to our lives. And that's what the next battleground is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in seeing what um, we're able to do with uh, mitigation. I mean, if we're able to care for the sick in a more efficient way than we're doing so far, if we're able to reduce the morbidity rate that way, just because the health system is is up to speed and able to care for everybody. I mean, obviously that makes that's a point for you know the and the lockdown side. The mask thing, I think, is going to be inevitably there for a long time. Keeping old people from interacting with anyone who's consistently in public areas, that's a fucking another one, as sad as it is. I mm-hmm. mean, there are people that are clearly more susceptible to this than others. Uh, age is a factor. Obesity is a factor. like other, other health and immune issues are as well. So that stuff doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. But eventually, someone is going to have to say, like, these are the safest guardrails we can put on society but society has to be able to start funct- functioning again in as as efficient a way as we can make it otherwise this is going to cause multi-generational harm
0: absolutely no that's, that's without a I doubt mean, we'll and you, be,
1: you and I will be dead before we see the end of coronavirus related indirect effects stop yeah happening.
0: it's going to be wild what I've said from the beginning the only thing stranger than the lockdown is going to be the post lockdown
1: I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. It is it's so strange.
0: going to be so fucking weird.
1: All right, brother. So let's, um, let's, uh, schedule out a round two for this sometime next week or maybe the week after. And, uh, and we'll see where we go from there. But, uh, thank we'll you for it. your time, man. I'm glad you were able to, to come on and uh, keep doing what you're doing if you guys want to follow Matt please go to at Matt Belinsky on Instagram or Twitter um, Twitter's where he's obviously more uh, voluminous <laughs> Yeah, with, uh, with uh, his, his, his uh, coronavirus related content and uh, when is your next BNN
0: that it, it looks like it's going to be Monday. Okay. So next week, it looks like Monday night, we're going to have a doctor who is working, uh, at the, on the, at the USS Roosevelt, uh, that, that medical shit, U S Navy shit off the coast of New York should be interesting. Wow. Um, That's the company, I have, yes. Yeah. I, I, uh, at another point next week, um, a friend of mine um, who's a pretty prominent, you know, un- underground DJ whose entire family is in Jackson Heights, which is the ground zero of the outbreak in kind of the outer boroughs of, of Manhattan right oh, now. Wow. Um, and I think, you know, a perspective that's not getting told enough is is from the lower lower rungs of the socioeconomic uh, totem pole. And, you know, I think she's going to be able to provide a really interesting perspective. And they're... I'll, I'll be hopefully confirming within the next day or so, but could have just a monster pro athlete guest uh, towards the end of the week. So, so we'll see. I have to that's see awesome, how that shakes out. Yeah. No, that's really cool stuff.
1: And so what you're doing is you're doing an Instagram live feed with another person, right?
0: Pretty much. I do about 10, 15 minutes on kind of the topics of the day. Um, the, the guest hops on. We see how long that goes. And then, you know, I'm, I've then been kind of integrating some guests just joining the live, but that's still an, a work in progress and fluid.
1: Good stuff, man. We'll keep it up. And again, thank you for uh, coming on. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. For sure. Bye. 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 If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. So new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm your moderator. If you have feedback, you can email. Hey, moderator at I'm your or use the hashtag. Hey, moderator on Twitter.